I know many of you probably have read ahead into Genesis chapter 15, and that's what we're doing next week. So, but this is the first Sunday of the new year, so I wanted to take the time, although I had, I had studied all week long for um, Genesis chapter 15. Uh, and as I was just kind of finalizing, I'm like, that's not what I'm supposed to share. So I, I made a change, and I want to talk to you just about the vision of Calvary Chapel Lynchburg for 2021 which is not very different than the vision was for 2020 or 2019 or 2018 or 17. As a matter of fact, I went back through and I thought, when was the last time I gave a vision up, uh, message? Um, so I had to go all the way back to 2013. Now, I, maybe my you know, calendar is not completely accurate, but it's been eight years since we had this time where I wanted to say, this is who Calvary Chapel is, this is what we're doing, this is how we're going to do it. But as I went through, I'm like, yeah, it's all the same. Um, and that's because g- gleaning a vision and getting a, a, a mission of how you're going to carry out that vision, it comes from the Bible, so it doesn't change. We might put some words on it. We might you know, put some sentences together to help describe it. But bottom line, this is, this is not creative. This is not like I'm going to give you something new that you never heard before. This is your Bible. This is what the church does. This is Acts 2, 42 through 47. But I do want to put it forth in a fresh light. Again, not so different. Definitely got some other things I want to bring into this. But I want us to just consider who we are as a body of believers. 2020, got some news for you. 2020 is over. I don't know if you're happy about that or what. But it's over. You made it. You can just go home and say, thank you, Lord. But, you know, the Lord was faithful to see us through. And, I mean, all kinds of things happened. Things happened with health. Things happened with, you know, jobs. Things happened, you know, uh, we saw our nation begin to heave and become violent and pull itself up. We saw all kinds of things happen. But, you know, I'm glad that the Lord's hand of grace is still upon this country. Because if it wasn't, we could have easily seen all of these things become much, much worse. But as bad as 2020 was, it does not change one thing that the church is supposed to do. What's changed in our mission? What's changed in our vision? Absolutely nothing. What I hope has actually happened is that there's been some more clarity that's come to our mission. Um, Maybe the, the vision will be even stronger. It's like, oh my goodness, we have to do this. That's what I pray happens today, is that that's communicated to you that it's reignited in my own heart and among the elders and the staff. So what is the vision of Calvary Chapel Lynchburg? Here it is. Our vision is to be a fully functioning church that is embedded in the community of Central Virginia to transform its culture and reach the world for the cause of Christ one person at a time. So, I mean, got a verse for that? Yes, I do. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We do this until the Lord returns. Being those that are a part of transforming and impacting the culture we live in is nothing new. The first generation church was given this same charge, and it's the same charge that every generation of the church has, and that is to preach the gospel of the kingdom until the Lord returns. You know, I want to see 
the place where we live, I want, to see it, I want to see it change. I want to see the culture of this town change because the gospel is being preached. You know, when something is going to get in it, think of a metal that's going to be struck with a die. And when it hits it, it leaves an impression. And I, that's what I hope is that as we are out in the community, that we are leaving an impression upon the people we live with the people we work with, the people that we, we do community with. Out in the, I know everything's different in 2020. as in the sports field and baseball and football. It'll come back. But that we're, we're impacting. Well, I tell you what has zero appeal to me. And so let's get as many people as we can in this building and just kind of huddle in and just say, isn't this fun? That has zero appeal to me. I want to see whoever comes through this, this building, into this place, myself at the top of the list, is that we are watching our community get transformed and then launch out beyond that. So that is our mission. And, and really, it's not as complicated as maybe it even sounds because we are already embedded in our community. How is that? You live in a neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood. You work at this place. She works there. You go to school there. She goes to school there. You're involved in this little league. They're involved in this band thing. And we're already embedded into the community. We don't have to work that piece up. The Lord's already done it. But he's brought us together. And together, as we go out, we can watch this place be altered. And we can watch it be changed. And I, I just... As I think about all that happened in 2020, and if you have a different opinion, I would love to hear it. And especially if you got some like historical data of like, I think probably this generation for the church was more difficult. I would say, I'm not saying it's number one, but this past year, has there ever been a time in the history of the church where the whole church, church universal around the globe, simultaneously were all hit with the same problem and caused the church to have to shrink back and limitations come in the proclamation of the gospel like it happened in 2020. Now, maybe there is a time. Maybe you can know. I mean, localized things could have been worse. Certain areas could have had a heavier pressure. But the whole church all at once affected. I don't know of another time in the history of the church, but that doesn't discourage me. What that does is that actually causes me to think, well, Lord, it's time to relaunch your church. It's time for your spirit to fall upon the church again and for us to get back out there and do what you've called us to do, and that is to reach people for the cause of Christ. That's our vision. That's it. How are we going to do that? Well, this is our mission statement. Our mission is to encounter God, equip believers, and evangelize the world until the whole world hears. So we're gonna, that's going to make up the bulk of our study. Those three points. Encounter God, equip believers, equip the saints, evangelize the world. So these are the things we're going to talk about. So let's first of all talk about encountering God. We seek to encounter God through dynamic worship, diligent study of the Bible, loving fellowship, and corporate prayer meetings. So there are four things under this first main point. All right? Encountering God. There are four things. Number one, sub-point is dynamic worship. We want to experience the Lord. We want to encounter Him through the worship service that we have. In Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. 
We want to encounter him. We want to know him. Paul says, I want to encounter him through knowing him, through sufferings, and through fellowship. Through the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. This was his desire, and this should be our desire as well. And worship is one of the ways in which we can experience or encounter God. We're going to read it in another place in a few minutes. It's a place where we can find God. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. How often are we to be engaged in this worship? We don't stop. There should be a continual attitude of praise and worship that is going on in our life. I mean, I understand it. I say it. Nobody's wrong if they say it. But in one sense, we say, oh, worship is about to start. It's about to start. When did it stop? And our lives should be an act of worship. But I am thinking more of that corporate worship time where we come together and we lift our voices and we begin to thank the Lord. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And look at this. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's part of our job description. He redeemed us that we would be a people that praises and worships and gives thanks. It's what we've been created to do. The team that led us today They're not putting on a performance. This is not entertainment. This is not because, oh, they just love to do that. This is to worship the Lord. And we have a team, praise the Lord, that what they're doing is they're encountering God. They're worshiping the Lord through song, through playing through their instruments. And as they worship the Lord, we get to sing along with them and go into that same place behind the veil and worship the Lord. That's the point. The beginning of the church service where we're worshiping, it's not like, oh, that's the free time before it really you know, starts. No. How many of you remember the little uh, matinees that would happen before the movie? Anybody remember those? This, it's not the matinee. It's like I didn't come to watch this little you know, Dick Tracy film, but I'm going to watch it anyway because I'm here. No, it's not that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's what they used to do in the old days. It is a vital part of the service. It's, it, it connects us with, with the Lord. John chapter 4, verse 23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And what does it say? For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. We're commanded to do it, in Hebrews, we are told that we've been redeemed to do it. And now here we're told the, the Father himself is looking for those that are going to be engaged in worship. And this is what happens. When we come together in corporate worship, it is me worshiping the Lord. It's got to be that. But it's not just me worshiping the Lord because it's corporate worship. And so we think of what it says in Colossians, that we speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, admonishing one another. When I worship the Lord, when you worship the Lord, it has a corporate effect of admonishment. What does that mean? I I would imagine all of you can think of a time where you've been in service and maybe your mind is on other things or you're bothered by something. And you happen to look up and there you see the worship team 
going after the Lord or somebody next to you is passionately seeking the Lord. Her hands are lifted up. His eyes are, are shut and just focused on the Lord. You see the joy in somebody else and the Spirit says, see that? Do that. And there's that admonishment that comes. Now, it's, worship is for God, but it has the impact of challenging all of us to do the same thing. So part of encountering God is that we worship Him and we have a, an experience with Him. We want to find Him. And this is what happened. As we worshiped, I know I could ask many of you, and you could give testimony of how the Lord was encouraging you about maybe a trial that you're in, or you were just reminded of the greatness of God or the mercy of God, and your heart was just full, and there was a, that overflow of of worship, a declaration of the greatness of God because of some line that we are singing that is a truth of Scripture. And that's what happens when we come together. Oh, I know that it can happen on your own, and I'm assuming that it happens on your own far more than it ever happens corporately. Because if this is the, the, the most worship that's happening in your life, there's a problem. It needs to be happening all the time. But this corporate worship, it's a special time when we get together and we get to do this. So we encounter God through worshiping together, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and thus being admonished. Secondly, we encounter God through Bible study, getting into the Word. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. The Word of God is taught with the goal of bringing you into an encounter with God so that you can know what He thinks about you, so that you can know how to be reconciled to Him, so you can know what to do with your time, so you can know what to do with your, your energy, so you can know what to do with your resources, to know how to get through the conflict. To know how to love that person, to know how to, you know, call that person to repentance, all of this. We're encountering God. Who is He and what is He like? And if it wasn't for the Word of God, a major significant element of revelation would be lost for us. And we would, be, we would not have the understanding that we do. We know the Lord met with Abram, and that was a real experience. But boy, I sure like having the whole book and meeting with the Lord. And so Bible study is so important. We've got to have that in our life. Now for us, what we have decided is that we want to take the approach of going through the entirety of Scripture. That doesn't mean it's the only way to do it, but it certainly is the way we have committed to doing it. So for the last 26 years, um, we have gone through the Bible twice slowly. Um, we have gone through the Bible quickly a third time. We did 66 Bible studies that took us through the 66 books of the entire Bible, and it's on, online. You can go listen to it. And now we're on our fourth time through the Bible. So we just started in Genesis, so we're just beginning the fourth time for the Old Testament. We're about halfway through the New Testament for the fourth time. Because we believe it's the whole counsel of God's Word that we want to glean from, that we want to be exhorted by. I want you to know your Bibles. I want you to be able to open the Word and find the notes and find the passage and study it. That's what's important to me. And I believe that's what's important to the Lord as well. So we take the time to study the Word 
in this way. Not to fill our heads with information, but that that information might lead us into an encounter with the living God. And that's what happens. You know that's what happens. When you're reading the Word and He begins to speak to you afresh around that timeless truth that's been there since it was first written. And it begins to touch you and change you and causes you to repent, causes you to be comforted. It causes you to grow. It causes you to step out. The Word of the Lord. Where would we be without the Bible? And so we encounter God through worship, we encounter God through studying the Scriptures. And this is what the Lord would have. Thirdly, we encounter God by fellowshipping with others. Now, I've kind of touched on this already in the worship element. But I'm going to, just leaving that aside, thinking about our, our, our interaction with one another. Fellowship with believers. 1 John 1, 1-4, through 4, follow this. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You could take the word manifested, and you could say, we've encountered the Lord. We encountered Him. And John is saying, we experienced Jesus. We had an encounter with Him. We heard Him. We saw Him. We touched him. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, our encounter with him, we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Having fellowship is something that will bring a fullness of joy into your life. But what exactly is fellowship? The word means to share together. As John was writing, he says, I, this is the experience we had. We touched him. We handled him. We saw him. He spoke to us. This is our experience with him. But we want to come over and we want you who have an experience with him, we want to share that together. And so it's the sharing together of my experience with God that is based upon the word of the Lord. That's fellowship. And this is what is needed. A lot of times what we maybe call fellowship is not really sharing together my walk and my experience with the Lord. But when I hear you talking about how you're dealing with the bitterness that you know has come into your life and you're turning it over to the Lord, or you're talking about how you want to go out on the mission field, or somebody else is talking about how you know, they're, they've been reading through the Bible, somebody else is saying, I've spent more time in prayer, and I begin to hear about your encounter, how you have touched, how you have handled the word of life. You know what that does as you share that experience with me? That provokes me. That causes me to say, well, I want that too. Well, you prayed? Well, I'm going to go pray too. I'm probably going to pray longer than you too. You provoke, right? We provoke each other to love and good works. Isn't this what we read? And you knew that I was going to make my way here, but Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. If it was drawing near 1,900 years ago when this was written, man, what can we say now? Well, that we should make sure we don't forsake the gathering together. Now listen, I want to say this, and I sincerely, honestly, 
If you're at home watching this online because you don't feel like you can come out right, right now, this is not meant to be a cheap shot at you. You seek the Lord. You answer to him. I don't want to have dominion over any of your faith, okay? You walk with the Lord. You seek him. You have your reasons. I've talked with many of you, um, and you know what I've already said. I still feel that way. But the meeting together, the face-to-face experience is the way it's meant. It's the way it's been for 2,000 years. And it's what is so important, is that we have that time together. So here it is. In 2 John and 3 John, as he wrote to them, he says, there's other things I want to talk to you about, but I'm not going to put them on, you know, on paper with ink. I'm going to wait till we are what? What does he say? I'm going to wait till we are what? Face to face. Twice he says that in two different epistles. So evidently, there are certain things that only take place when we are face to face. There are certain conversations, there are certain experiences that have to have that face to face experience. And so we need fellowship. We have to have that encounter. I've got to know what's going on in your walk with Jesus. You need to know what's going on in her walk with Jesus. And you two need to get together and you need to have that experience. You need to have that fellowship. It's going to be transformative in your life. It's going to bring you into an encounter with God. You know, in Hebrews, it talks about provoking one another through fellowship to love and good works. Now, provoke is usually thought of in a, it's kind of like a negative word, right? And it, anybody have a brother or sister? Okay, you need no example of what provoke means then, right? He's like, well, I don't have that. Well, if you have a couple of kids, you know what provoke is like. Man, I was an expert provoker. Hey. (laughs) To some people. But, I mean, I, I could irritate people. I mean, I was, I just did it. I loved it. I, I just, I would provoke my poor sister, you know, and I guess my cousins too. But um, I, would, I would provoke people, and I would think it's fun. That's negative. But we are to be provoking one another to love and good works. That's why it's like, oh, you find out that she's evangelizing. You're like, she's evangelizing. If she can evangelize, I can evangelize. And I can evangelize. And I can read, and I can pray. And we find ourselves, not in a prideful way, but just being prodded on in our walk with the Lord. You take away fellowship, that provocation decreases in your life. I want you to think about how many times you've been provoked to love and good works through a personal encounter, a face-to-face experience with a brother or sister. And if we take that out, we remove an aspect of our encounter with God that he wants us to have. Listen, fellowshipping together as a church, we we took time off when this first came out, and we were told it was going to be this terrible thing, and then we began to find ways to meet. Of course, we did the online thing, and then we started meeting out in the parking lot. You guys remember the honking horn thing? You guys, you guys were loud, and you distracted me. It was so hard to concentrate when you were honking your horns when instead of saying amen. But it, it was fun. It was different. It was so loud on, up on stage when you have like 100 horns all coming at you at the same time. It's like the brain just went flatline, you know. 
It was fun, though. And we got together, and then we started meeting together. And, you know, listen, I know some people didn't, you don't agree. Some are meeting right now, and you don't think we should be meeting. And, uh, okay, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to do it. This is what I feel based upon the Word of God, and the elders and the staff feel based upon the Word of God we should be doing. And so uh, we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to take the precautions that we can. And you know what we've said. I'm not going to get up here every week and, and, and tell you what to do. I'm not going to chase you down and strap a mask on your face. I just refuse to do that. I didn't check your car registration, and I'm not going to check your mask. But you know what the, you know what the governor's saying. you got to deal with that between you and the Lord. Okay? So this is how we've approached this. But to not have fellowship is not an opportunity. It's not a possibility. We have to have this as a part of who we are. And it's not just coming together. Some have said, accurately so, and have said, Troy, this, it's not about the building. And I agree. It is not about the building. But it is about the gathering. It is about the gathering. And whether we gather outside or whether we gather inside or we go to a, it doesn't matter. We have to gather and have that experience with one another so that I can see what Jesus is doing in your life and you can see what Jesus is doing in his life. And we are provoked together through this process. We want to encounter God. So how do we do that? Through corporate worship, dynamic worship, through the Bible study through fellowship with other believers, and through prayer. Prayer is fundamental to the Christian faith. It's right at the, the, the foundation of what we are to be doing. 1 Timothy 2.1, Therefore I exhort, for, exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of things be made for all men. This is what we should be doing. Paul's telling Timothy, run the church like this. And he says, get them praying. I remember Pastor Chuck telling us, as, as pastors going to the pastor's conferences, he goes, here's what you need to do. Get your church praying. Keep your church praying. And that is something that we have tried to do. And, you know, sometimes it seems like it's gone well. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's gone so well. If you talk to most pastors, they will tell you that a prayer meeting is the hardest meeting to get people to come out to. It's, a, it's, one, it's one of the first meetings that goes at, at churches. And I've had many conversations with pastors who regret the fact that nobody comes to the prayer meetings. In Matthew 21, verse 13, Jesus said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. The house of prayer, that temple, was to be a place where prayer was offering. Yeah, but that was the Old Testament. And the New Testament, we don't have a physical temple. We have what? A spiritual temple. Individually, we each are individual dwelling places of the Lord. He inhabits us. He makes our hearts his home. But collectively, we are living stones that are being fashioned together into a house. We are the house of God. Wherever this church or any church goes, the people of God goes, that's the house of the Lord. And it's that location that is to be a place of prayer, of calling upon the Lord and petitioning the Lord, and yeah, praising the Lord is an aspect of, of prayer. It's a place where we wait to hear what He has to say. Listen, I'm not going to guilt you into going to prayer meeting. If I've got to guilt you to go in, into prayer meeting, I'm probably not going to enjoy the prayer meeting, and neither are you. When you come together to pray, 
What makes a great prayer meeting is when there is a fervency and a passion and the zeal to call upon the name of the Lord together. But I would pray, and I do pray all the time, that we would see the great value of encountering God through corporate prayer. Listen to this verse. Listen to what the Lord says. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me, and here it is, and find me. What's that? You're going to encounter me when you pray with all of your heart. When you search for me with all your heart, you're going to have an encounter with me. So the prayer meeting, something that we want every home fellowship to have an important part of prayer going on. We want There's a men's Tuesday morning prayer meeting. There's our Wednesday night encounter prayer and worship service. That's what we call it. The, this week of prayer, we call it the week of encounter. Because we want to seek the Lord with all of our heart and we want to what? Find Him. I don't want to just deliver to Him my prayer list. Let's be honest. All of us have been in prayer meetings where it's just people rattling through a list. That is not engaging. It might be important and it might be needs, but you do that every week, I promise you that prayer meeting will die. And you may still have people there, but it will be a dead prayer meeting. And honestly, candidly, that's the way our prayer meetings were for years. Until I just thought, why in the world? I mean, you've heard me say it. I didn't want to go to the prayer meeting. My kids didn't want to go to the prayer meeting. My wife didn't want to go to the prayer meeting. And I'm the pastor. I did, it was boring. It, was, it just was like, oh my gosh. And it was, it was tough, but I knew we were supposed to do it, and so we just kept seeking the Lord. And, and then it's really it's, it's this passage and another that the Lord just said, Troy, why is coming and praying to me such a boring event? Because if you're finding me, shouldn't that be rather exhilarating? Shouldn't that be like completely out of this world of an experience? I'm like, yeah, Lord, it's not you, it's me. I, I got it. And so we have sought, and I'm not saying we have succeeded, but we tried to have an encounter with the Lord in our, our prayer and praise services. We're meeting with the Lord, and it's different every week. But we want to encounter God. Um, we want to, moving on to the next uh, big points, we want to encounter God through what? We want to do it through worship. We want to do it through Bible study. We want to do it through prayer. We want to do it through fellowship. But we also want to equip one another. And we seek to equip believers to utilize their God-given gifts and fulfill their part in strengthening the church. We make an assumption when you come through the door. You're coming here to be equipped to do something. To use your spiritual gift. To invest in the church, in the kingdom. This is what I am exhorted to do. This is my job description and every pastor and every leader's job description. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now you may say, well, that's not why I came. Well, okay, 
I'm still making that assumption. We're not going to guilt you into serving. We're not going to hound you into serving. But I will never feel bad for asking you to engage in serving our King and our Lord and to edify the church of Jesus Christ. It's His institution. It's the, he has the institution of marriage in the family and He has the institution of the church. Outside of that, all is man-made. The Lord wants His church to ed- be edified. He wants it to be strengthened. He wants each and every one of you to use your spiritual gift, whether that's the gift of hospitality or the gift of helps or evangelism or the gift of teaching or the gift of administration. Whatever that gifting is that you have, the Lord wants you to fully engage in it. Why don't we? Three quick reasons. Number one, I don't have the time. I'm just too busy with life. I just don't have time to serve. Let me tell you, you're not going to want to say that to Jesus when you see him face to face. You have a to-do list, and I have a to-do list in heaven. When we get there, we'll find out. We'll be rewarded for those things that we've done. And you don't want to say, you know, well, yeah, I see all these things, Lord, but evidently you didn't realize I was a pretty important, powerful person that had a lot of things to do. And I said, yeah, I didn't catch that. Sarcasm inserted. The Lord expects us to serve Him. Another reason is because I think it might be the number one reason is that we're afraid we're going to mess it up. I don't want to mess up things. I don't want to mess things up at the church. I mean, if I do that, I'm, it's probably not going to be very good and whatever. Listen, if you heard my first Bible study, you would have agreed that he should be taken out and stoned to death. That is how bad that first Bible study was. But you know, the people that asked me to do it, they didn't stone me. They say, hey, why don't we get together and work on how to prepare a Bible study? I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool to me. I mean, I look back now, I'm like, oh my goodness, that Bible study was so terrible. But you know what? I knew that I was called to, to be a teacher, and I just started doing it. You have a call, and you have a gift upon your life. It is the job of the leadership of the church to equip you and exhort you to get out there and to do it. So, you know, we're afraid, right? This is one reason. Or, you know, we, we may feel like, you know, I, I'm too busy. Or maybe you just think it's not important. Maybe you just think, well, this is not an important thing to do. There's other things that are far more important. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the one thing you can say for certain, I know this is the will of God, is that I use my spiritual gift. And maybe a fourth reason, probably a big one, is I've been hurt. I've been hurt at church. I'm sure you have. I have too. That happens when you get people together in close proximity. Have you noticed that? It happens in your family. It happens at work. Yes, and can even happen at church. But do you really want to stand before Jesus and say, well, I stopped serving you because she made me mad. She made you mad, so you stopped serving me. Why didn't you just stop serving her? Well, I mean, I don't get this. I, I was upset that she did that to you. I chastened her, actually. And you decided you wanted to leave me alone and not do it? You don't want to say these things to the Lord. All you want to do is be able to present to the Lord what you've done and hear Him say, you know what you want to hear Him say, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In other words, you want Jesus to walk up to you and say, give me a high five. I love... I love what you did for the kingdom and for the church. Come on in. Here's your reward. 
That's the experience you want to have. It's the experience that the Lord wants you to have. Titus 3.14, let our people learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. What needs to be done, that's what you should do. I just don't know what to do. What needs to be done? Do the thing that's in front of you and let the Lord lead you specifically beyond that. Ephesians 4.16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Who doesn't want to be a part of seeing that happen? So the motivation I want to give you for being equipped and using your gift is God's motivation, that we be a complete body doing the things that he has planned for us. Lastly and quickly, we want to evangelize the whole world. We seek to evangelize Central Virginia and the world by sharing the love of God in Christ through proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to proclaim the gospel. It's, it's the, the great commission passage, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You've got the verse in front of you. But as you look at that first line, go therefore, it actually could be translated like this. And as you are going, go therefore. Do you feel the force of that? The, it's the assumption that Jesus is talking to a group of people that are already in the process of, process of going. He's not thinking he's talking to people that he's got to put a stick of dynamite under and light to get them moving. He's talking to people that are already in that process of wanting to go. And as I said at the beginning, I cannot think of a time in history for certain in my lifetime where there has been less gospel work going on. And I just use our church as an example, but I think it's pretty representative. We have not been in the jails. We are in the jails every single week. We haven't done that since all the, you know, the COVID restrictions. We um, had a... a, a a correspondence course that has been shrunk down because they don't want to handle the mail. Thousands of people going through that every year. Um, we're not in the schools after school, the Good News Clubs preaching the gospel. And we're not in the nursing homes. And that is not any, that is across the board. How many missionaries do you think have been launched out? I would love to see a, a statistic. So if you have any kind of data nerds out there, go find it and send it to me. How many missionaries went out in 2019? How many went out in 2020? I am certain that that number is going to be drastically lower. So as we think about what has happened, there's been a, a retraction that has taken place in the gospel work. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm, I'm a part of it. How do we do this? Here's the thing. I'm praying, Lord, would you send your church out like she has not been seen in years and in decades? Would you put your spirit upon us and launch us back out into this world, into our communities, out into the mission field? This is what needs to happen. Paul had a passion. In Romans 15, this is the last verse. Romans 15, verses 20 through 22. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. He wants to go to the unreached people. Lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. 
For this reason, I also have been much, much hindered from coming to you. And that's a description of our year, much hindrance. But we need to go. Unreached people are people where a group of people anywhere on planet Earth where um, less than 2% of them are Christians, evangelical believing Christians. That's considered an unreached people group. There are 7.8 billion people on the planet. 2.5 billion, I think that's a really conservative number I, I went with, have not heard the name of Jesus. 2.5 billion people have not heard the name of Jesus. And it is our responsibility to get the name of Jesus out there. And so I hope we get rid of a lot of you this year. Out onto the mission field. In the next coming years, planting churches, going and doing that work. Oh, I'm thankful for the things that we've done. Russia, Nepal, Philippines, Uganda, Costa Rica, Alabama, North Carolina, all the places where people have gone. Praise the Lord, South Carolina. But you know what? It's not enough. There are people who don't know the name of Jesus. And I'll just give you this to illustrate the point. Nanda, a good friend, um, when he first got saved, he grew up in Nepal. Um, and when he first got saved, the way he got saved, very condensed story. He saw some people handing out some pieces of paper. And he thought, I want to know what they're saying. He went up there, and I'm condensing the story. And when he told them who he was, they started to run away from him. He started to chase them. They were handing out tracks. So now the people handing out tracks are running away from a guy who wants a track. He catches up with them, and he hits one of them in the head. Some papers fall to the ground. He picks up the track, and then he says it was a very bad track, but basically said, Jesus you know, loves you and wants you to have a better life. He says, Poof, that's what I want for my country. I want them to have a better life. I've got to meet this Jesus. He didn't know that he lived 2,000 years ago. He thought he was a guru that was alive on planet Earth. So he wanted to start to learn to speak English and Hindi because he figured this guy probably speaks one of those languages. So when he meets him, he wants to be able to talk to him. But he said, I decided the first thing I was going to say is you need help on your recruits because they're cowards. When I asked for a piece of paper, they ran away. We need to get bold, strong men that aren't afraid to preach the gospel. Well, eventually he got a Bible. He read the whole thing. Still did not know that Jesus was not uh, you know, somebody that lived 2,000 years ago, you know, risen from the dead. And he says that when he read that Jesus died on the cross and they crucified him, they threw his Bible across the floor, went under the bed, and he didn't know how the story ended for some time. He didn't know that that happened. They found out. Well, he obviously is a believer now, loves the Lord. And him and Lisa have done amazing work over in Nepal, training over 500 pastors. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Nandas out there. That's all I'm saying. Who's going to tell them? It's our job. So we want to encounter God. We want to equip the saints. And we want to evangelize the world because we want to see this place impacted and it's, it's done. We don't have to come up with a great plan. It's already all in place. God did it. We just got to launch. We've got to do what God's called us to do. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you that you have not left us aimless. You have not left us without guidance of how or when or what to do. You've made it so clear in your word that now is the appointed time. Now we are to look up to the harvest fields, that they are ready, they are white, and to pray that, we would send out, that you would send out laborers into the harvest field. Lord, we say, here we are, send us. 
Lord, we don't know how we're going to get into some of these countries. We don't even know how we can get into some states and do new works. But Lord, you know this is your planet. This is your earth. You're in control of it all. And we just say, Lord, would you send us out? Would you raise us up? Would you teach us the value of prayer and Bible study and fellowship? May we learn these things all over again in 2021. We pray that you would meet with us in a mighty way. We pray that we would do a great job of equipping and then engaging in the work. And that, Lord, we would not leave it just inside this building, but we would take it outside and we would evangelize. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.